0: and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. The January 2012 issue of IEAM features a dialogue between three authors on an age-old argument in the field of environmental toxicology. The dialogue is a response to an editorial published in the October 2011 issue of IEAM entitled, Well Past Time to Stop Using NOELs and LOELs where the acronyms NOEL and LOEL refer to no-observed effect levels and lowest-observed effect levels. The editorial was essentially a call to end the use of these two measures in favor of more statistically robust approaches. Joining me today are Wayne Landis and Peter Chapman, co-authors of the original editorial. Wayne is a professor and the director of the Institute of Environmental Toxicology at Western Washington University, and Peter is a principal with Golder Associates in Vancouver, British Columbia. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hi, Jenny. No worries, Jenny. Glad to be here.
0: So, Wayne, let's begin with you. Essentially, the editorial is calling for an end to general hypothesis testing approaches and moving towards regression and analysis of variance techniques. Is that right?
2: Absolutely, because using hypothesis testing is not actually answering the question. And in all science, is absolutely the most fundamental thing is what is exactly the question that you're trying to answer and then using techniques that are available to actually answer that specific question. Hypothesis testing does not answer that question. Curve fitting is actually addressing what you need to know in order to make decisions about toxicity. Huge difference in approach.
0: So then, would you describe for us the major concepts and applications for hypothesis testing versus regression techniques, and tell us why this is such an important issue?
2: So, hypothesis testing is pretty straightforward, at least in the way that ecotoxicologists have done it. Other fields use it as well. Hypothesis test is simply, you would take two samples, one from one particular treatment, another from another particular treatment, and you compare them to see if they're from the same population to see if they're really the same or not. And your hypothesis is that they're not different. Now, when we look at toxicity testing, what they've usually done is tested a group of four or five treatments. The first test they do is to say, is there any difference in the populations here? But you don't know which one. And then you come through and you ask, which one of these is different from a particular treatment? And that treatment happens to be the no treatment, In other words, what people call the control, but it's essentially a treatment. That's how it's been done for a long time. The problem with that is that it doesn't conform, and this is the problem with conventional hypothesis testing, it doesn't conform to what we already know about how chemicals and other kinds of stressors relate to the receptor organisms, is that there's a curve that's involved. So that's the problem. Hypothesis testing does not incorporate One of the fundamental issues in environmental toxicology is that there's a concentration response curve. The curve makes the poison. Regression technique is actually, you understand that there's a curve involved. You're trying to find out what the shape of that curve is, where it is and what the slope is, where it tapers off, where it levels off at the bottom. So regression, properly run regression technique, allow you to do that. In other words, it conforms to our fundamental understanding of toxicology is that it's the curve, and it describes that curve. Those are the two really big differences. That's an important issue because hypothesis testing isn't describing what we know is true about toxicology, that there's a curve. It doesn't test that. It doesn't describe that curve. It also has no uncertainty analysis associated with it. When you do a proper regression analysis, not only do you know what the shape of the curve is, but you also have confidence intervals about that curve. It allows you to get a feeling for what kind of variability and uncertainty you have uh, using that technique. So that's a real short summary of the differences between the two methods. And I actually use both, but I don't use hypothesis testing to test uh, information about curves. It's for many other kinds of uses.
0: Thanks, Wayne. So, Peter, what are some of the pitfalls encountered when using these statistical methods?
1: I think the easiest way is to give you a little true story, which is actually uh, quite a warning. I was sitting in the early 90s at my desk and at that time I worked for a company called EVS Consultants and we had a lab, a toxicity testing lab, and I was in charge of overseeing what happened at the lab. And We did a lot of tests for different clients and no X, no observed effect concentrations and low X, low observed effect concentrations were pretty standard. And candidly, I never thought much about it. I had lots of other stuff I was working on and raising a family. And I was sitting there, and I remember it was a beautiful, sunny day, and it was lovely outside. And it was the end of the day, and I was thinking, it's been a pretty good day. I got a call from good clients. I said, hey, how are you doing? And they started yelling at me, literally yelling at me. And the reason they were yelling at me is because we'd been doing testing for a while for them, and we'd been measuring no, uh, noax and they didn't like the results because it was showing that their effluent was toxic. So they sent a subsample without us knowing to another lab. And they got a better NOAC than uh, we had gotten. And he was mad at us. He said, you know, we just couldn't trust us. We were too sensitive. We weren't right. We were doing it wrong. And I almost fell off my chair and I you know, fumbled and said, well, I'll get back to you. And I thought, God, what can I do? So I looked at it and I called the other lab because I knew the other lab and I talked to him. And we both realized then that the reason that our Nox were different is that we were testing different concentrations. And the NOACs observed effect concentration is exactly that. It depends on the concentrations you're testing. And he was testing a higher concentration than we were, so we were getting lower Nox. If we'd had the same concentrations, we'd have been about the same. Out of that, he and I and uh, another Peter Chapman published a paper in 1996 in Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry called a warning, no accident appropriate for regulatory use. And after that, I really tried, and I'm trying again, to get rid of them because they're not appropriate and they can lead to these sort of problems.
0: Thank you, Peter. Wayne, what are some of the data analysis techniques that are preferred over hypothesis testing for analyzing toxicity data, and why do you think these are more appropriate?
2: Well, Jenny, they're more appropriate because they're actually testing the hypothesis that we're trying to examine here, in fact, that there's a curve or not. So we're trying to describe the curve. The first thing you always do in any kind of data analysis is that you make a scatter plot of the data, which sounds incredibly simple, but oftentimes your actual brain and experience, you'll look at the data... You'll see, in fact, if there's a slope or not, what the scatter is like, so forth and so on. And then you can actually start thinking about what kinds of data analysis tools that you want to use, what kinds of models of curves you may want to use, and so forth. So the first thing you always do, and every data analysis textbook tells you this, plot the data. Then you can use a variety of regression techniques, and there's all kinds. There's probit analysis, all kinds of other tools that you can use, many other kinds of regressions that you can use in order to fit the curve. And what you're trying to do, this is purely empirical right now. Now, What you're trying to do is find out what's the best description of that relationship that you see. And once you have that description and you have some assumption, some knowledge about the regression method you use, you can calculate a confidence interval. That confidence interval is not for the data. It's for the line, which I think confuses people a bit. Once you do that, you can go from a very high concentration to a very low concentration. I can see what the relationship is between the concentration and the effect. There are some caveats with this. What people often try to do is that their data is stopped at about a 20% effect, and they want to predict a 5 or 10% effect. That's called over-extrapolation. What happens, no matter what model you're using for your regression, your confidence intervals get really big. One of the things you have to watch out for is, is extrapolation beyond what your data set is describing. So that's one way of doing it, and that's been the traditional method all the way back to Litchfield and Wisconsin in, in 1949. Now it's the graph paper we use computers, but a lot of the fundamentals are exactly the same. It's so another methodology used by David Fox, and that's using a Bayesian curve fitting, and it's very similar. What Bayesian techniques do is that they do this iteratively, you have a general model that you give it as a prior, as a way of thinking about it initially, and then the computer program using the feedback from the Bayesian technique, tries to draw a more optimal curve that also gives you not really confidence limits. they're called credibility limits, very similar conceptually to what the curve is like. And what David does is actually try to estimate where there's a no-effects concentration, which is not a statistical hypothesis test. But it's actually where the slope of the curve becomes zero, meaning that any lowering in the concentration of the chemical does not give you a lower effect. So he's trying to find that exact point. Sometimes there's no, no effect concentration other than zero. So that's a very different way of kind of looking at the analysis. The model is uh, generated as it goes through the iterative process. So that's kind of a different approach. It's still curve-fitting, but using a little bit different technique. The last one has been talked about a lot by Jaeger and his colleagues, and this is actually using process models. Actually looking at rates of uptake, concentration inside the organism, and then the effects on the organism to try to get concentration response curves that take into account all those effects. It's much more mechanistic modeling, it's process modeling, not as empirical as the other two techniques that has not been used as much. It has a huge amount of promise, I think. And maybe one of these days we'll actually be treating this mechanistically, not just empirically. So, Jenny, those are the three different techniques.
0: Thanks, Wayne. Very thorough. So, Peter, going back to you, it appears that a number of scientists actually agree with your position that no-Ls and low-Ls are inappropriate and should not be used. How would you educate toxicologists on the proper use of such statistical methods?
1: Well, Jenny, going back to my story, I think it really comes to a light bulb going on. You know, for me, as I mentioned, I didn't know until I actually had hands on experience. And I think a lot of the problems that we face is that in psychologists and even hands on, people are simply regurgitating. They're simply doing procedures that can be done, and calculating NOX and LOX is very simple compared to. Some of the other procedures, not that they're that complex, but nox and lox are very simple. And I think we need to show them firsthand that these do lead to the wrong results. Also, we need to clarify that nox are not no-effect concentrations because that's one of the big issues. People say, okay, if it's below, it's fine. But in fact, a nox can be higher than an EC20 and effect concentration 20%, for instance. So it's a matter of educating, not just on the theory, but in the reality.
0: So then to follow up on that, can you highlight your position on publishing research that utilizes these techniques?
1: Well, Wayne and I we're calling for a ban on publications of research that relies on NOX and LOX. You know, we realize that there are cases where those may historically be the only data you have. If it's data you're generating now, there is no way that should be published because you're making a fundamental error. If you are having to rely because there are no other data, no X and y's, and you cannot, although it is possible, go back and calculate a point estimate based on the curve, then you need to use those data very cautiously and point out the uncertainties. And to give you an example in Australia, uh, what the Australians are doing now, is where the developing species sensitivity distributions, they're using NOX or LOX where they have to, but where new data come in, once they have eight data points, they're actually taking the curve into account, then they drop all their NOX and LOX and rely on those. So we can make the transition, we can use historical data if we must, but realizing the uncertainties, and we absolutely must not, and I repeat, must not, develop new data based on NOX and LOX. That is uh, absolutely a no-go, no-show, and should not be published.
0: Thanks for that, Peter. Something tells me that we have not heard the end of this conversation. Wayne and Peter, thanks again for joining us today.
1: Our pleasure. Take care. Cheers.
0: And listeners can access both the original editorial by Wayne and Peter in the October 2011 issue of IEAM. From that, we have an ongoing dialogue in the January 2012 issue between David Fox, who posted a reply to the original editorial and Wayne and Peter's response to David Fox. Thank you for listening.